welcome to Experimental Brewing with Denny and Drew. I'm Denny Kahn. And I'm Drew Beecham. Together, we're the authors of Experimental Homebrewing, Mad Science in the Pursuit of Great Beer, and Homebrew All-Stars, where we interview 25 of the world's best homebrewers and bring you their tips, tricks, secrets, and make you feel like, well, that you're brewing with them. Now, between the two of us, we have nearly 40 years of homebrewing experience. I'm the guy known for weird beer and strange ideas. He certainly is, and I'm the guy who's known for questioning the conventional wisdom and coming up with a way to check it out. Yeah, well, and on today's episode, we're going to be doing our usual sort of dance, the dance of beer or something. <laughs> uh, we'll be heading to the pub. <laughs> dance of beer? I don't even want to think about that. <laughs> I've, I've heard the song of my people and I must dance. Um, okay. But on today's episode, we're going to be going to the pub. Where we're going to talk through well, what seems to be the never-ending line of acquisitions. But of course, first we're going to talk about something a little bit more fun. Our Yeast contest results, so we can find out who exactly won and why they won. We're going to talk a couple things in the library. We're going to actually head to the lab and we're going to do something a little bit different this week. We're going to bring you some experimental results, but they're not going to be ours. Uh, we're going to be talking with a short-circuited brewer... Uh, who's going to be bringing us a, a live experiment that we're going to do here uh, well, you know, on air. That's right. You get to uh, all laugh at uh, Drew's and mine tasting ability. Yeah. <laughs> My two tasting buds will be upset. Uh, and then off in the lounge, we're going to actually uh, go back to Arts District Brewing Company, where we interviewed Todd Alstrom the other week. And we're going to be talking to the brewer there, Devin Randall, an L.A. native who made her way into the brewing industry via San Diego before coming back home. And then, of course, as always, we're going to close out with a quick tip, something other than beer, and get you on the road to another happy beery day. So there's a lot of stuff going on in this episode, so we better get started. We'll be right back after this word from some of our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Pico Brew. Makers of the Zymatic and Pico Brewing Systems. The brewing systems of the future are here now. Discover how easy and rewarding it is to make great beer with Pico Brew. And by Craftmeister and BTF Iota 4. When you absolutely, positively need to make every surface clean, bust out the cleaners with professional power and home brewer safety. Make better beer with better chemistry. Choose Craftmeister. And by... The American Homebrewers Association, a community of more than 46,000 beer lovers. Since 1978, the AHA and its members have worked to promote and celebrate the homebrewing hobby and community. Join today for six issues of Zymergy Magazine, AHA member discounts on beer, food, and brewing supplies, access to exclusive events and competitions, and a bunch of other cool stuff that'll take too long to list here. Head over to homebrewersassociation.org or experimentalbrew.com and get yourself a membership. And by you, our listeners, go to experimentalbrew.com to help support us. Click on the Patreon link to donate whatever amount you'd like to help support us and our charities. Click on the Brew Your Own Magazine link to subscribe to BYO. Or click on the HA link to join the American Homebrewers Association and receive a subscription to Zymergy Magazine. Part of the proceeds from those go to help support the podcast. Thanks for your support. Well, hey, don't forget, if you buy something from one of our sponsors or you talk to one of our sponsors, let them know that you came and found them via us. It helps. Trust me. All right. 
So before we get into the, this episode, don't forget that we have a new episode of The Brew Files that went up last week, where we actually, Denny and I, sat down and talked to Randy Mosier all about finding his sort of zen of recipe design. In other words, how do you make a creative recipe without, you know, breaking your brain? I thought it was a rather good episode, too. Yeah, man. It's always great to talk to Randy. And as you uh, as you no doubt know, I'm a huge fan of his uh, brew it, brew it again, and brew it again kind of uh, school of recipe design. And I'm a fan of the big wacky design. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. And don't forget, this is episode 47 of the podcast, which means that the next episode would be... 48? Right. And you know what we do every 12 episodes? We answer questions. Uh. We answer lots of questions. But in order to do that, we need you to get your questions into us you can email them to podcast at experimentalbrew.com or you can give us a call at 626-765-1-ALE and uh, leave us a message there and we will get your question into the show so uh, please get them into us we need some time to uh, do a little research so we have somewhat of a chance of giving you a correct answer well, a better chance, at least. Yeah, right. Don't forget, you can support the podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, click the Amazon AHA or BYO links on the website, and by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year is... Axel's Angels and the Desi Strong Foundation, which is helping fund the care and treatment of pediatric cancer. So please go to Patreon, pledge whatever amount you can afford to give, and we'll get it to those kids, and uh, we'll all be able to help out and uh, add a few points to our karma. And speaking of how to support the podcast and our charitable efforts, we have a special offer for all of our listeners from Brew Your Own Magazine, BYO, and this is what they have to say. Welcome, experimental brewing fans. As a special offer for just for you as an experimental brewing home brewer, you can save 50% with this exclusive offer for a limited time on an annual print subscription to Brew Your Own Magazine. You'll receive eight print issues packed with homebrewing recipes, techniques, tips, and DIY projects delivered right to your mailbox for the special 50% discounted price of just $14.99. Plus, a portion of your subscription order here will go right to Denny and Drew to help support all their great homebrewing writing and podcasts. Makes me wonder, have they actually listened to us? Uh, yeah, I know. If you're a current Brewer on subscriber, you can still take advantage of this offer and we'll just extend your subscription for one more year. So if you want to take advantage of the special offer from our friends at BYO Magazine, just click on the BYO banner that's on the website right now and you'll be able to get 50% off of your annual subscription. That sounds pretty dang cheap. Such a deal. Such a deal. And even more from Brew Your Own, you can join Brew Your Own Magazine for in-depth, full-day, small-class homebrewing learning experiences. Wow. November 3rd and 4th in Indianapolis. Learn hands-on from brewing experts, including John Palmer, Gordon Strong, Dr. Chris White, Brad Smith, Michael Tonsmeyer, Ashton Lewis, John Blickman, and more. I wonder if we're and more. Each of the 17 full-day workshops is limited to just 35 people. Plus, when you register now, you not only lock in your spot, but you can save $125 when you sign up by September 15th, and a portion of your registration will come back to the podcast to help support all of our good works. Please write Experimental Brewing in the notes section of the Bootcamp Registration Shopping Cart when checking out, so we'll get credit for your sign-up. For more information on this special event, check out byo.com slash bootcamp overview. There you go. And we'll, uh, we'll put a link to that on our website, too, to make it easier to find. Wow, that's a lot of great stuff from Brew Your Own. And, uh, you know, now that we've gotten that done and told you about the great deals, 
It's time for Drew to do something that he almost never does. Yeah, let me break out the barbecue sauce, the sriracha, you know, whatever your favorite flavoring is, because it's time for me to eat a little crow. If you remember on the last episode, we talked about uh, the short uh, sale to the Lush, the Lagunitas U.S. Holding Group, uh, which is owned by Heineken. And I've obviously expressed my displeasure because, uh, well, I'm me. So we all know that... (laughs) As I've said on the podcast in the past, I, I try and live my life directed by kindness. Uh, however, I'm a human being, and I mess up more more often than I care to admit to. And I was reached out to by a Shorts employee last week uh, after the podcast went live, uh, a listener. And basically, they were disappointed that I dismissed the brewery as a stunt brewery. And, you know, because obviously the stuff I know about shorts is all the sort of strange, uh, funny beers that they do. And I did uh, say a dismissive term about, uh, term about them, calling them a stunt brewery. And so I do have to kind of take a step back and say they're absolutely right. That was needlessly dismissive of uh, of the brewery, of the work that they're doing there at the brewery and everything else. However, uh, so there's no insult intended towards the uh, the brewing prowess of the brewers who work there or a lot of the other beers that they're making. And I mean, after all, I'm a guy who makes a lot of stunt beers after all. So <laughs> and clam chowder saisons about as stunning as you get. That's right. So again, to the point, yes, I should not use dismissive terms. And uh, my apologies to everybody who uh, works at shorts. Uh, I was not attempting to dismiss the beers that were being done. Uh, I was being off the cuff and, used unfortunate words. So my apologies for offending people or hurting people's feelings. And I will still stand by the fact that I still think it's somewhat sketchy and disingenuous that the sale is being painted as going to Lush and not to Heineken. Uh, But that's a whole other story. That's business and not (laughs) brewing. That's right. That's that's up to them. But I got to say, man, it's uh, somewhat gratifying to see you in the position that I'm usually in. Well, yeah, and somehow people think you're the nice one. That's because I am. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm just Certainly. super opinionated, and I'm always right. You know, it makes it easy. Okay, with that uh, taken care of, and Drew's crow on the barbecue, we're gonna get out of here, head over to the pub, have a couple beers, and we'll be right back with the pub life. So stick around. Are you a fan of chocolate, but not of the mess that comes from using cacao nibs? Chalaka is your answer. A favorite of Tim Matthews at Oscar Blues, it contains only cacao and water. Chalaka is aseptically packaged, so you don't have to worry about any bugs coming along uninvited. Using only sustainably sourced cacao, every bottle of Chalaka you buy helps regrow the rainforests of Ecuador and Peru. Ask for Chalaka wherever Brewcraft USA products are sold. to the Experimental Brewing Pub at the corner of Everywhere and Nowhere in your town, USA, and we are drinking a couple beers. What you having, Mr. Beecham? Well, after that uh, little crow confession that I just had, I think... You're having uh, a crow saison? No. 
Uh, no, I figured I would uh, <laughs> go to the Orkneys and have a skull splitter. <laughs> there you go. So I, I remember discovering that beer. Oh yeah, it, it's a it's a great beer. It's an eight and a half percent strong Scotch ale slash we have a slash whatever term you want to use, whether or not it's right or not. Lots of fruit, lots of booze, lots of caramel, and perfectly appropriate for a period of time when you just have to go. I'm a bad person. <laughs> Well, I'm having another uh, beer from Tübinger Brewery in Chile. Uh, last time around, I had their American IPA, which was just outstandingly good. And now I'm drinking a beer called Tubinator, which uh, is their version of a Doppelbach. Uh, it's made as an ale, so it's not a true Doppelbach, which uh, Chris, the owner of the brewery, will readily acknowledge. But if you didn't know it was an ale, you would never know that it's an ale. This is a delicious beer, huge malty flavor, perfect balance, extremely clean fermentation. It's won a number of awards for Tubinger, and deservedly so. This is a delicious beer. Uh, should you happen to be in Chile, go get you some. All right, so hey, we're having beers, but you know that we also do contests. And one of our sponsors, Y Yeast Labs, good old friend of ours, they've uh, been running a sponsored contest with us for the past two months. And if you haven't been aware, so every year, for every quarter of the year, Y Yeast chooses a couple of special strains to release in their private collection. Right? And these are uber special strains that don't don't see the light of day, except for maybe once per year. And this year, Y Yeast, for crazy, crazy reasons, let two idiots choose the yeast strains. That's us. Yep. Uh... And so we decided that because uh, summer is Belgian time, or time to make Belgians because of uh, temperature control, we thought it'd be fun to uh, actually have a contest. And what we did was we chose three different Belgian-style ale strains and put it out there to the listeners. If you remember listening to our Homebrew Con show, that you had two months to get us a recipe, idea, and a story for each of the particular strains that Yeast released this quarter. And we've waded through this giant pile of recipes and we had a lot of really good entries didn't we denny yeah i really i want to thank everybody who took the time to come up with a recipe and send it in uh whether you're one of the winners or not there were some really good recipes there with a lot of thought put into them and we really appreciate it yeah and so between us and i, I will note since i was the one actually receiving the recipes i did not make a decision on the judging because i knew everybody's name so I anonymized everything, and I sent it off to Denny, a couple of our cohorts, and, of course, people at Y East in order to make a decision. And we had some decisions made. So shall we announce? We what have the winners now that we're yeah. going to announce. Right. So I will go by strain, and we will walk through the list of who won. So our first strain is actually Y East 3739, the private collection Flanders Golden Ale, which Y East in their description says... Uh, this well-balanced strain from northern Belgium will produce moderate levels of both fruity esters and spicy phenols, while finishing dry with a hint of malt. 3739 PC is a robust, versatile strain that performs nicely in a broad range of Belgian styles. So we looked through the recipes, everybody dug, put on their thinking caps, and I am happy to say that we chose a beer called Balandi by Chris Kepler. And Chris Kepler uh, wrote up the story here. He says, some background on this recipe. I've always been a big fan of the Spaghetti Western since I first watched them together with my dad many, some many years ago. I had it in my mind this past year to put together a three-part beer in honor of the three men behind the 1966 title, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Each beer would be named for and designed after one of the three characters behind these titles. 
They would be brewed and fermented separately to begin with, and then combined into a five-gallon barrel, if I could ever find an affordable one, to sit in a secondary bit to mingle, a la the final climactic scene from the movie. The, this beer was always in the back of my mind for Clint Eastwood's character called Blondie in the film. Uh, please note that the use of Belgian special beer is part of the mash, instead of using golden raisins, as I had envisioned once in my mind, to still get that raisiny feel. So it goes on, and it's actually a really cool uh, golden ale with just a little bit of color thrown in from the special bee. And I think what everybody dug about it was sort of the story behind it and really the structure of the recipe. By the way, we will have all these recipes on the website. So look Yeah, and the stories that go with them. Yeah. All right, Denny, you want to take number two? You betcha. And uh, as I always say, excuse my pronunciation, I grew up in the Midwest. For thirty-seven eighty-nine, which is the Trappist style blend from Y Yeast, and the winner for Y Yeast thirty-seven eighty-nine, which is the Trappist style blend, is our good friend of the podcast and Igor Nikki Forster with Dry Dry Twa, uh, which is how Drew told me to pronounce it. So we'll assume that's correct. I wouldn't assume yeah. it's correct. I'm terrible at that. <laughs> Drew, come on. Let's have, let's have a little bit about the recipe and the story. Sure. Well, the first thing is the Trappist blend itself is actually kind of cool because it's both uh, Saccharomyces and Britannomyces for doing some of the Trappist-style beers from uh, Florinville. And it says here, Phenolics, mild fruitiness, and complex spiciness developed with increased fermentation temperatures. Subdued, but classic Brit character. Which is exactly Subdued, how I like but it. classic. I love it. That's, that's yeah. me all over. And Nikki's recipe is actually a Belgian triple, and she wrote down in her notes that this is pale, spicy, dry, and strong. This Belgian triple packs a sneaky punch featuring complex yeast-derived aromatics, citrus, and honey. This liquid gold in your tulip with a bouquet of spicy, peppery phenolics and citrusy orange esters. Uh, A soft alcohol profile combines with a light, honey-like maltiness and an effervescent profile. Wow. Just makes your mouth water just hearing that, doesn't it? Yeah, and you know, I mean, you look at it, it's a it's a fairly classic sort of recipe. You know, some pale malt, some pilsner malt, some honey malt, and some torrified wheat. A little bit of orange peel, and then uh, this uh, Trappist-style blend. Now, I think Denny might have voted for this one because her first yeast choice was why use 1450 Denny's favorite with a big note of just kidding. <laughs> no, I did vote for this one. It, it uh, just looked like a delicious recipe. And I have to say that, uh, you know, all of us who voted, uh, were, we got these recipes without any idea who made them. So uh, good job, Nikki. I didn't know it was you, but I voted for you anyway. Yep. So this, this is why I anonymize things. And our third yeast strain is Y-Yeast 3822 PC Belgian Dark Ale. Says this unique Belgian ale yeast is a high acid producer with a balanced ester and phenol production, allowing a good expression of malt profile, especially the strong flavors of darker malts and sugars. High alcohol tolerance, spicy, tart, and dry on the palate with a very complex finish. And our winning recipe for that comes from Jordan Knudsen with his figgy backing beer. Uh, going looking at that figgy backing, figgy backing. Well, the story behind this one is, according to Jordan, this recipe is a loving homage to my cat Figaro, Fig for short, as she's a girl who was given a male name by my sister-in-law, a tortoiseshell whom my now fiancé adopted from a barnyard litter just after we started dating. Torties are said to have strong personalities, and Fig is the quintessence of this posit. She is incredibly smart and clever, assertive, and sometimes downright bossy, and very interactive and talkative. She's also one of the most affectionate animals I've ever known, perfectly content to go from play fighting one moment to curling up on my chest and giving me kisses on the nose the next. No. Uh, my fiance frequently says that Fig seems more like a tiny person than a cat. I could go on and on. 
I could go on and on, as a pet papa always can, but I think you get the idea. Obviously, the question was, how do I put this character into a beer? First of all, tortoiseshell cats are defined by their reddish, orange, and black coat, so it has to be some sort of darker beer. Then there's the feisty and assertive personality, which mandates some bold, strong flavors, maybe with a little bite, just like real life. But Fig is also a very sweet girl, and this presented a problem. I didn't want a thick, sweet beer, but rather something that implied sweetness without adding too much residual sugar. The solution I came up with seems stupidly obvious in retrospect. Roasted caramelized figs. The catch, of course, is that fresh figs are only available during a limited season, but luckily, that season is now. What follows is more or less a Belgian double with figs. I honestly think this could be either great with the Flanders Golden Ale or the Belgian Dark Ale yeast, but ultimately I went with the latter because I want a little bit of acid in there, both to enhance the fruit notes and to tease the bitey nature of my little girl. And the overall profile description sounds like a great match. And so wow. this comes in as like a nice 7.7%. Uh, it calls for taking uh, two pounds of figs and roasting them in a 250 degree oven for quite a while in order to actually allow them to, you know, sort of caramelize and then pulverize and then add them into a hot bag and into the last uh, 10 minutes of the boil. So I don't know about you, Denny. I know you voted for this one as well. What'd you think? Yeah. Uh, I, I love figs and Belgian beers. So to me, it was like a natural and I kind of had to do it. Although when I make this recipe, I may uh, use a slightly different technique for the figs. I like to uh, caramelize them in a red hot wok and then uh, deglaze with some of the beer before adding it to secondary. Oh, that's, that's very much like uh, Lost Abbey does with a couple of their beers. They stole my idea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm sure Jordan's oven method would uh, would work well too if you don't want to go to all the the hassle that I do. So, anyway, congratulations to Chris, Nikki, and Jordan. Thank you all so much for submitting your recipes. Uh, Chris, Nikki, and Jordan, we will be contacting you to get uh, information about where to ship your stuff. You will all receive experimental brewing books and t-shirts and yeast and swag from Y-Yeast. Wow. And especially thank you to Y-Yeast for uh, getting with us on this crazy idea and helping out and providing the prizes to these guys. Yeah, don't don't forget, go out, find these uh, Y-Yeast specialty strains. They're the summertime strains, so they'll be out for just a little while longer, but they'll be absolutely perfect for kind of making a nice special Belgian ale. Yeah, and we'll have all the winning recipes on our website, and Y-Yeast will have them also. So you guys can go out and get some of these private collection yeast strains and make these recipes for yourself. Yay. Yay, All right, indeed. well, hey. So now we get over to what seems like the week-to-week purpose of the pub, which is let's talk the business side of everything. You, yeah. you want to kick us off here? Well, you know, as it, it seems as if the uh, trend of breweries being bought up or other breweries closing seems to continue. So uh, I guess the first thing we want to talk about is the uh, buyout of Funky Buddha by Constellation. Uh, you want to give a little background on that? Yeah, so Funky Buddha is a brewery that opened up, I want to say around 2012, so not that long ago, in Overland Park in Florida, which is just north of Miami, or just outside of Miami. They've grown uh, amazingly rapidly, starting from just the, a husband and wife to now a partnership team. And they're very well known for doing a lot of, again, very creative style beers, just like uh, shorts that we talked about last week. Uh, And I've actually had their beer before on the show, like their sweet potato casserole, and they have a blueberry cobbler beer and a bunch of others as well, kind of in the same vein. And uh, they're very, very popular in Florida. They were one of the harbingers of the arrival of the craft beer scene in Florida. 
And so now, like has been happening, uh, Constellation approached them and bought them up, which now means I think this is Constellation's second craft beer brand after Ballast Point. Yeah, I believe so. Now, one of the things I thought was interesting was, I mean, okay, obviously, same sort of business motivation. You see the same sort of thing. You know, beers aren't going to change. And, of course, one of the things I think is interesting is when Constellation bought Ballast Point, they were very, very clear about harping on the price, right? You, you remember this, Denny, where they bought Ballast Point and, and, and it got announced out that they bought Ballast Point and the distillation uh, line for $1 billion. $1 yeah. billion. Dollars. It, with the little finger at the corner of the mouth. That's and right. in the years since, and particularly earlier this year, I think there's been a lot of analysis put out there and a lot of uh, people looking at it going, Constellation overpaid. You know, the, the ballast point hasn't been able to expand to the point where that would really truly justify the billion dollar price, at least in the mind of a lot of uh, people who are trying to crunch numbers. And one of the things I thought was interesting about this was there's no money f- figure tied into the, any of these announcements. So nobody knows how much they actually paid, but it seems like they wouldn't have done that big of a number, or at least they would have crowed about that number again. What do you think? Right. Yeah, I mean, I, that makes sense. Uh, you know, uh, th- there, you're right. There hasn't been any talk of it at all. Um, one of the things that I thought was interesting here was that uh, Funky Buddha was pretty much up against the limit of uh, how much they are actually capable of producing. Uh, they, uh, they can make about 45,000 barrels a year, and they're going to be at 35,000 this year. And so they really felt like they needed to expand, and I'm sure that, that had a lot to do with, uh, with driving the decision to sell. Oh, well, now they've been rumored as being, like, on the market for partnership for quite a while. And right. what I thought was interesting was that their their executive staff and their, their marketers were always like, oh, all these rumors are just, you know, all about the people being jealous of our success. And like, <laughs> I'm not kidding. That's literally what they said in, uh, to, like, the full pint and a couple of other people. They're jealous of our success. That's the reason why people are making these rumors about us looking to be acquired. And... What I thought was really interesting was the guys at the Full Point dug in, and they've actually known that the sale was going on for quite a while, but that, uh, according to them, Funky Buddha actually pushed back the sale date to get them some leeway room away from the backlash that happened from, like, Wicked Weed and, and whatnot. So they've like this deal has actually been in the works for quite a while and would have closed earlier, except for everybody kind of looking around and going, whoops. Yeah, and the other thing that I thought was interesting was that uh, um, Constellation said that they had thought that there were going to be more national brands ripe for acquisition. But as they looked around, they saw a a lot more potential in acquiring uh, more local brands, right? So that's why you see things, you know, like like Funky Buddha and Ballast Point. So, um, well, except for I would argue that Ballast Point's a national brand. Well, that's true. And, and they actually kind of said, uh, well, actually, the quote is at the time we acquired Ballast Point, we thought there would be more national brands that broke out. Things went more local, and it doesn't appear that you're going to be able to build new national brands in the space really quickly. That made us recognize we need a lot more brands in the portfolio to build up a reasonable presence in the craft space overall. 
So what they're doing, rather than going for the really large acquisitions like Ballast Point, they hope to acquire more regional and local breweries uh, mm-hmm. in, in a wider area. Well, I mean, that's kind of exactly like what ABI is doing, right? You know, because I think it's the, the game now is, you know, what, where we're seeing the vulnerable targets for acquisition, or at least the ones that are ripe for acquisition, are the people who are at that 35,000 barrel, 45,000 barrel mark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. Um, you know, and, and all indications are that acquisition by Constellation will be more benign to the overall market than, uh, than some of the acquisitions that ABI has done in, in an attempt to control distribution. But as always, reality remains to be seen. Yep. Well, and I mean, look, I'm still... I mean, I don't drink Ballast Point anymore. It is who I am. Yeah. So yeah. that's a that's a personal uh, that's a personal decision on my part. I, I make no claims on righteousness and <laughs> judging of others. And we're not asking you to do it. We're just telling you what we do. Yep. So the other thing that's kind of interesting is this uh, New Belgium buying uh, Magnolia in order to pull it out of bankruptcy, huh? Well, it's not just New Belgium; it's a consortium. So, and this is what I think is really interesting about it is that. So New Belgium out of uh, Colorado, who has been actually also targeted by a bunch of recent profiles about how they've lost their way and they're getting eaten by the big guys and by the small guys. You know, their markets, you know, getting shrunk down on, on the, you know, instead of their big expansion that they were doing for a while with Ranger and, and Fat Tire. So a lot of that, they have a new CEO now, and they literally just announced that between them uh, Dick Cantwell, who was the former brewer and partner at Illusion Brewing Company, who famously split away from them after they had their ABI purchase. And the most interesting one to me, in terms of the, huh, I never would have thought of that, Oud Beersel from Belgium. All coming together and effectively forming a partnership to also buy Magnolia. Now, Magnolia has been a longtime brew pub in uh, San Francisco, in the Haight-Ashbury district. I think it's at the corner of Haight and Masonic. And funky old place, uh, run in what used to be a public clinic and uh, also rumored a former uh, den of ill repute. And really focusing on doing some really kind of classical English beers, like forever in a day, they were the only place in San Francisco that you could really go to have fresh brewed cask beer. Well, a couple of years back, they you know, said, well, you know, it's time for us to expand. The market's hot. Uh, they went and they opened a brand new facility. I think it was targeted around 30,000 barrels in, uh, I think it's Dog Patch uh, area of uh, San Francisco with an attached restaurant slash tasting room called Smokestack. And the expansion cost them more money than they counted on. The market didn't uh, grow as hot as they needed for themselves. And they went into bankruptcy last year. So they, or maybe even two years ago now. So they filed for uh, uh, Chapter 11, I think. And they basically got the bankruptcy protection. And now uh, New Belgium, Dick Cantwell, and Oud Beersel have stepped in to buy uh, the Magnolia Brewing. Dave is still in charge of the brewery, which is a nice thing. But what I thought was interesting about this was this is a bunch of small or good beer players coming together to try and you know make a consortium. Really a craft beer-centric version of like some of these buyouts that we've seen like with Lush uh, buying shorts and... Kieran slash Brooklyn uh, partnering up with 21st Amendment. This is all craft beer, though. So this is what I think is kind of interesting. 
Yeah, you know, and uh, I'm going to read this uh, this paragraph here from craftbeer.com because I find this really fascinating. Oud Biersel, who produces Belgian Lambic beers, is called a contributing experimenter. Do you love that title? <laughs> I want that to be my title. Really, contributing experimenter in the new venture. The idea is they'll eventually ship their traditional Lambics to be blended with Magnolia beers. That's a big deal because in order to be called Lambic, the beer must be produced in Belgium, among other requirements. Uh, by shipping Lambic to San Francisco, the partnership says they're establishing the world's first dedicated Lambic blendery outside of Belgium. And, you know, that's that's kind of exciting. I kind of see some interesting potential there. Yeah, well, and, of course, let's not forget that. I mean, even in Belgium for years and years, the tradition was that you had a lot more Lambic blenderies than you ever did Lambic brewers. So right. everybody would go grab wort from Cantillon, Jardin, Oudbursel, or whoever, and they would take that to their local warehouse and age and blend the beers there. And so this is just now a transatlantic version of that which yeah. which of course given well, new belgium's history with transatlantic creek is sort of fitting yeah and and you have to admit too that uh, having having someone like dick cantwell on board with his uh, experience and and skill is uh, is another thing that, re- that really seems to be going in their favor oh yeah i mean and this is also uh, dick cantwell's first return back into the craft beer scene you know, after the Elysian buyout, I think uh, I think he's been doing consulting work, and he's obviously worked with the BA. But I mean, the other thing I think is great is I mean, this keeps Dave McLean going, and Dave, like right. I said, has been has been a stalwart in San Francisco brewing forever and a day, and so that's I can't even begin to say how fantastic that is. Um, <laughs> now, but this this brings up again, we're talking about this expansion thing, right? We talked right. about we talked about with uh, Funky Buddha. We talked about it with Magnolia. They got bitten, uh, kind of bit into bankruptcy by their expansion costing more than they thought it was going to. And then we're also seeing other places getting bit by this, like, um, let me see, uh, Anchor. Uh, Anchor just sold, uh, the Griffin Group that owned Anchor and the distillery just sold to Sapporo. And they sold the brewery, but they're keeping the, the distillery. So, and part of the part of the reason they sold, they said, was because of the challenges in the in the market right now. They're not they're not able to expand. They're not able to make enough money off the beer as it stands. So they wanted to divest themselves of the brewery. Uh, I, I would love to know what Fritz Maytag thinks of that, but regardless. Um, but then over in Sacramento, Sacramento just lost or is just about to lose uh, uh, Rubicon Brewing Company, which is another old school brew pub that's been there forever. I think they've been in business for like 30 years and a lot of brewers in the Sacramento area came up uh, via Rubicon and they expanded when they got a new owner who had formerly worked there and bought the place. Uh, they expanded, they uh, moved into a brewery that was going to handle 15,000 barrels per year. And I think they were brewing about 5,000 and ran out of capital and cash. And now they're closing their doors. Uh, another another brewery in the Sacramento area as well, American River Brewing Company, which is run by a friend of mine, Dave Mathis, uh, just announced that they're closing. And again, it's a, a lot of this where people seem to be up against the wall in terms of, you know, liquid cash versus expansion. Yeah, you know, and and not I'm not dissing anybody when I say this, but I I think that there is a tendency of people who open breweries to feel like if they make great beer, everything will be wonderful for them, and. Uh, kind of kind of overlook some of the business side of things 
Oh, yeah. But, I mean, it's, it's also speaking to the fact, I mean, this is now a lot harder because, I mean, at least while we were in the, the massive expansion phase, you could kind of do that. I mean, hell, there were a lot of people out there who were making crappy beer who were still expanding. But they weren't making any money. So ju- uh, just the other day on Facebook, uh, I was reading a story of a, a brewery that was closing down. And the owner mentioned that they'd been around for, I think, six years. And during that time, he had never paid himself. He had been living off his what his wife made. And unfortunately, that's all too common a story, um, <laughs> not just in the brewery business, but uh, for many, many people who run their own businesses. And I guess my point is that there's no reason it should be any different for the brewing business. And while I love to see breweries out there making great beer, you have to realize that that alone will not keep you in business. No, I know. But it's interesting to me to see like how some of this pattern of the buyouts and the consolidations and now the closings are starting to happen. Uh, You know, in a lot of ways, this really does remind me of uh, 96. I'm not, uh, and not in the sense of, I think that we're going to see the same, you know, sort of level of drastic collapse that we did in 96. I mean, 96 was terrifying. If you're in the craft beer world, but what we saw in 96 was a lot of people suddenly got caught short when their expansion plans fell through. Yeah, and I think that there's been like an overall contraction in the number of breweries because basically there's only so many people out there who are going to be buying beer. And of course, that has been increasing, but that increase has now started to level off. So businesses that counted on that continued stratospheric increase in beer drinkers uh, are definitely going to be in trouble. Yep. But it's it's just interesting. I mean, I don't think, like I said, I don't think we're going to see the same level of collapse, but it does speak to me that, you know, I mean, I think there are still 2,500 breweries in planning right now, according to the, the Brewers Association. Well, I mean, I think we've finally reached the point where breweries are now restaurants. Yeah. We've we've talked about that. So anyway, we've been going on about this way too long. So how about we move on? Okay. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will be over in the lab talking to Brian Huntley about an experiment that he did. So stick around. Y Yeast has been producing premium liquid yeast for over 30 years and continues to provide homebrewers with the same quality, purity, and reliability as the professionals. The third quarter private collection emulates the rich traditions and characteristics of Belgian style beers from Flanders to Florinville. 3739 Flanders Gold Nail, 3789 Trappist Style Blend, and 3822 Belgian Dark Ale are worthy choices for creating the diverse styles of Belgium this summer. And congratulations to the winners of the Y-East Experimental Brewing Belgian Summer Contest, Jordan Knudsen, Nikki Forster, and Chris Kepler. You can find their winning recipes at yeastlab.com and experimentalbrew.com. So go get those Y-East seasonal yeasts and brew your own winners. made our way over to the lab because it's experiment time but this time 
<laughs> there goes Drew doing his Jacob's Ladder imitation again. This time it's not our experiment. It's one run by a gentleman by the name of Brian Huntley, who we have on the line. Hey, Brian, how are you today? Doing great. How are you? Uh, I'm good because I have three beers sitting here in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I'm glad the care package arrived like it was supposed to. I was going to say, we will always appreciate uh, free beer packages arriving. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, and especially because it's in the name of science, right? Exactly. Beer science. So, Brian, why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself and uh, what you do? Yeah, uh, so I have been brewing for about 10 years now, and one of the things that kind of led me to home brewing was we had kind of an impromptu family reunion out in uh, California in your guys' neck of the woods. Mm -hmm. And one of my cousins, he actually brews beer himself. And he brought a bunch of different beers with him and we got a chance to try them all. So from that point, I said, you know what? It's, it's amazing that uh, beer can have this much flavor. So I, I told my wife, I said, uh, let's uh, get a kit for Christmas and I'll try it. So I got a, a kit and it was a holiday ale. And it was an extract batch. And then I moved right from that to a partial mash batch and did one of those. And I thought, well, this is pretty neat, but I like to cook and, uh, you know, take control of the ingredients and everything. So I thought, well, what about all grain? So I went right from extract to partial mash, and then the next batch, the third batch, was all grain. So did that oh, wow. for a few years. <laughs> yeah, I had an interesting vertical there. Um <laughs> Did that for about a year or two, and then uh, came across uh, an electric brewery site. And I thought, well, that's pretty neat. And uh, I like that kind of, you know, I love tinkering with stuff, building computers, all that kind of stuff. So I thought, well, you know what, that, that looks really cool, too, because uh, that would allow me, it gets pretty cold here in Ohio in the wintertime, so I'm like, that would allow me to kind of brew indoors without dealing with so many of the elements and everything. So I set about building one of those, and... Uh, about five years ago, uh, built a three-vessel Hearn system uh, from scratch, pretty much all myself, just uh, using what I could figure out online. Uh, well, I would tell you that there was not nearly as much stuff online now, you know, all then as there is now, for sure. sure. Uh, a lot more information. And uh, shortly after that, I thought, well, you know, it's pretty fun, and then started, you know, watching some stuff on YouTube that was it was kind of brewing was starting to kind of catch hold there a little bit too. So I started watching some stuff on YouTube. And uh, so, well, you know, let's start a channel. So we did, me and a few other guys did that. And uh, we've been, uh, we, we did it pretty good, pretty heavily there uh, in 2015. And there was a little bit of a hiatus, uh, job changes and stuff like that. And then uh, in uh, December of 2016, I was looking through a uh, Brew Your Own magazine and saw the Blickman Quick Card. And I thought, you know what, I haven't brewed for a while. It's been probably about six or eight months since I had brewed, actually. I'm ashamed to say. <laughs> it, it happens. I, I know the feeling, man. <laughs> right, exactly. And I thought, you know what, that, that device looks really, really cool. I think I want to brew a batch, and uh, I'd like, I want to buy, I want to get one of those for Christmas. So my wife got me one of those for Christmas, and, you know, the rest, as they say, is history. I did a review on that and uh, was really, really well received. And uh, we just, this past, uh, about a week ago, we passed uh, 2,000 subscribers on our YouTube wow, channel. That's great. Nice. And uh, things are going really good. I, uh, you know, uh, I've had some manufacturers send me some products for review, and um, got a pretty good relationship with Blickman. I, I was actually the first person outside of uh, the test groups that had a Blickman uh, Riptide pump 
in the in those the entire really sexy man. Sure, those sure. Are, those so, are very cool looking. Oh man, they're awesome. I mean, I absolutely love mine. So that's kind of my my condensed version of of uh, my story. <laughs> so if people want to find your YouTube channel, uh, what do they look for? Uh, Short circuited brewers. Okay, great. And where and, do, uh, and we'll include a link. Yeah, we'll we'll put a link up on our website. Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. So, how that's, did how did you come up with a short circuited name? Are you like an electronics tech? No, not really. It was it was one of those things because uh, because I was the first person in our group to build an electric brewery, and it's kind of the story is kind of funny because I met the other two guys off of Craigslist. I was selling my old uh, uh, keg, uh, kegel. I was selling mm-hmm. my old kegel on Craigslist. And I uh, met one of the guys and told him what I was doing, and he was really fascinated by it. He's like, oh, hey, well, bring, uh, can I come take a look at it? And I'm like, sure. I, I had a single vessel at that time with a rim system. And uh, I told him, sure, come on over. Of course, to the horror of my wife, he decides to bring a buddy to tag along with him. And <laughs> <laughs> here we are in the garage, two guys off of Craigslist and me, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I've heard those and, stories. Uh, and she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, no, they're fine. They're beer guys. They'll be all right. <laughs> you know. And, uh, so it was kind of funny and, uh, we, we decided that, you know, because we were, all of us were building electric breweries that, you know, we would, we would kind of come up with something that was centered around electric and, uh, there you somebody go. came up with a name and, you know, said we were short circuited one day and they're like, Hey, that's a good name. So that's, <laughs> that's kind of where it came from. And Ho- hopefully that doesn't <laughs> happen too often, man. <laughs> no, <laughs> not at all. Always have your brewery on a GFI circuit. <laughs> oh, always really, man. So let's get into uh, some beer tasting here. I have three yeah. glasses here in front of me. One is labeled X, one is labeled G, and one is labeled C, which gives me absolutely no clue about anything. Yeah, I, kind of, I wanted to try to take your guys' advice uh, on the, some of the tri- – I've read a lot of uh, Marshall stuff over at Brewlosity and, and, and uh, looked at some of the triangle testing and, and tried to avoid any kind of hint of what was going on as much as possible. So. Right. <laughs> well, and I, I was going to say, you threw in the extra complication of mine are labeled E, F, and H. <laughs> yeah, there's no way we can cheat on this, is there? Yeah. So. No, no, not at all. That was the idea. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you. Is that something to say to the nice man who sent us beer? Come on, Denny. All right. No, okay, okay. Here we go. I'll take it back. Here we go. Okay, here we go. Here we go. No, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm starting with X. Well, and I'm just now pouring my beers because I'm that sort of person. <laughs> yeah. Um, nice nose. Well balanced. There's some hops in there. Now, Brian, if I remember correctly, you... You had done a uh, a short video kind of describing some of what what you're trying to experiment with, right? But we haven't paid any attention. Yeah, actually, it, here's the crazy part. I did a I did a, a live brew session of the experiment, and I was actually live on YouTube for seven hours that day. <laughs> you're a sick man. Phone, mm. phone don't fail I know, me now. You talk about you talk about dedication, but what was even more sick was that there were people that that uh, hung out with me the whole time. So. <laughs> I, yeah, I wonder sometimes with the live uh, streaming if that's just not a lot of people going. You know what? I need an excuse to drink beer. Shush! They're doing beer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, it's it's kind of cool to do in the live sessions because you know you'll get, you'll get people that are brewing or you know people that are do you know cleaning cleaning their brewery or whatever they just brewed and you know they'll have you on the on the big screen or something and uh, it's just it's it's really a blast. We we really <laughs> enjoy it. Have a lot of fun. Well, you know, at first I thought I could tell for sure which one was the odd beer so to speak now but of course after the second pass through i have no idea well and of course i mean this is the thing we we always try and tell people like no matter how good your palate is 
a triangle test is always going to mess with you because you're always going to yeah. second guess yourself. Sure. Mm, mm. And I'm, you know, these are so delicious. I don't really even care anymore. <laughs> All right. Okay. I'm ready. I'm ready to make my guess. How about you, Drew? Yep. I think so. Are you? <laughs> He's so busy drinking. Okay. <laughs> I'll go first. I think that for me, the different beer is X. It seems to have more hop aroma to it and a touch more hop flavor. So how about you, Drew? And I think for me, I'm going E because I think there's more bitterness. Okay. All right. So why don't you tell us now what the experiment was and how we did? Okay. So the the experiment was uh, I had been reading some information, listening to your guys' podcast, reading some information from Marshall over at Berlosby. And something I've always wanted to try was just doing a... Uh, pale ale, which just hops in the whirlpool. Mm-hmm. Uh, always was fascinated by that process, and you know, I, I always wondered how much bitterness it extracted from the hops. You know, there, there's so many different variables with doing that that are kind of undocumented. That you know, we really have no idea what goes on in there. Right. And um, so, I got a product in from More Beer to try to, to do a review on the, uh, tr- the Trump Trapper. It's like a big screen that kind of looks, people call it, it looks like a, uh, a car air filter, you know, like from an old ship, uh, 57 Chevy or something. Oh, yeah, <laughs> man. This big, that was, big that's before Drew's that, time, but I remember him. No, I remember him, too. Right. <laughs> exactly. So I, I was going to review that, and then I thought, you know what? I'm like, why not do something more fun than just a review? Why not do an experiment? So... What I did was I formulated a, a batch, and what I did was I made a 10-gallon batch, which I usually target about 11 gallons, mm-hmm. and uh, made a pretty simple recipe, uh, 20 pounds of two-row, three pounds of carapils, and one pound of melanoidin malt. Right. And then what I did was I ran all that off, fly-sparged into my kettle, um, to my volume, it was about 13 and a half gallons, and then drained off half of that volume, started it up, boiled it for 60, 60 minutes, and then turned the element off at 60 minutes and threw in uh, four ounces each of citra and amarillo. So there were eight ounces of hops that went into the whirlpool. Mm-hmm. And uh, using my, I was using my Blickman Riptide pump, and that thing does a pretty pretty stiff whirlpool. So I did one batch that way with the Trub Trapper throwing the hops directly into the kettle. And I did, after that was done, you know, chilled it down, drained it off in the fermenter. Then I dumped the other batch in, did it again. <laughs> so that was the reason for the seven-hour brew day was oh, <laughs> I did two separate batches of beer back-to-back. Wow. And the only difference between the two of them was the one, the one that had the truck trapper, obviously I threw the hops directly in the kettle on that one. And then the other one, I stuck a hop sack off the side of the kettle and ran the uh, recirculation kind of, you know, if you will, blowing or pumping towards the sack. Mm-hmm. And that was pretty much it. Um, I, I did use um, Y-East 1332, which I know you guys, uh, one of your sponsors is Y-East. That's right. Um, I will say that that was an interesting fermentation, uh, both from a length standpoint as well as how the, both the beers looked. It was really weird because the they both had about the same amount of trub in the bottom, mm-hmm. but the fermentation was was completely different color. 
<laughs> the Trump Trapper was more of a milky-looking, almost like one of those, you know, new, uh, dare I say, juicy <laughs> <laughs> IPA. <laughs> I'm, and, I'm not uh, going there, man. <laughs> <laughs> that was for you. I knew that. Yeah, I, right. I, I knew that, that was work. for me, too. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so uh, that fermentation was really cloudy and dark. And the other, the fermentation with the hop sack was very, it was very clear. I mean, there was a lot, you know, there was a lot of, there was some truck floating around in there, but, and it stayed that way all the way until about probably 15 or 20 days after pitching the yeast and it, before it finally settled out. So there was, there was a lot of weird things that transpired with, you know, the two, diff, the same beer with, with two different processes of just the hops. They used the same yeast on both of them and everything. Hmm. Um, and for the moment of truth with that, yes. uh, here, here is how it goes with the uh, the samples that I sent you guys. Right. So the hop sack versions were letters C, H, and F. Okay. And the trub trapper, or just throw it right in the kettle, was G, X, and E. So I blew it. And I got it right. You blew it. <laughs> <laughs> now, so. I will tell you that uh, I, had, I, I got together with some of the uh, folks from our home brew club, and I uh, also sent a couple of bottles home with my buddy for him and his wife to try. And I would tell you that I was pretty surprised by the results of it. And uh, 7 out of 10 of the people that were in the triangle test at, uh, at the little meeting that we had mm-hmm. picked the, the odd man out. Wow. So, so, so basically, basically then my taste buds are totally shot. <laughs> it could be all two of them. You know, my, my nose. I worked in the automotive industry for a long time around paint and all other chemicals, so my nose is not too good. Sometimes <laughs> I have a hard time. Did you, by but, any chance, get the beers analyzed to see if the IBUs in them were similar? I did, as a matter of fact, I did. Dana over at uh, Dana Lab, did. Oh, great! Lab. Sure. She said to tell you guys hi. By the way, all right. <laughs> <laughs> so here, here's the real uh, interesting result behind the whole thing. Uh, and she obviously, you know, as, as you would know, she's a pretty, she's a stickler for, for details when it comes to analysis of beer. Oh yeah. And you know, uh, IBU testing is not always the sensory telltale, you know, mm-hmm. it's just sure. the number that can be skewed by tannins and grains and, you know, all those sort of things. So, but here, here's the really weird thing that, that I found interesting was the, the trub trapper or the one that I, that I dumped the hops directly into the kettle mm-hmm. that actually had an IBU of forty-seven point five. Okay, and the hop sack it had a IBU of forty-five point five. So damn close. So there were only what's that? Damn close, man. Yeah. So there's only two IBUs difference, but I, I think as uh, as Drew was saying, you, you know, you picked up more bitterness from the one that was the trub trapper, right? The one that just dumped right into the kettle, Wait, and, and so, that was E, right? Because he was yeah, the one that yeah. I had picked out. I want to make sure. You can see, yeah. I'm, now that I know, I'm going back through, and it's like, well, yeah, it's obvious, you idiot. But <laughs> oh no, I went it, back and forth so on weird, this though, because you know, being only only for uh, two IBUs, basically about uh, just roughly two point two IBUs off. There's there's a distinct difference, in my opinion, in the bitterness. Of course, you know, I was I was privy to what was going on right. the entire time, but I definitely found that there was uh, a more rounder bitterness with the the hops that were put in the hop sack, and then there was a much sharper, more apparent bitterness with the ones that were just dumped in the kettle. I agree, and I think that that goes back to uh, something that we've known for a long time, is that uh, 
IBUs can only tell you so much. They can tell you the amount of iso-alpha acids in there, but they can't really tell you what those taste like. Exactly. Now, the interesting thing that, uh, according to Beersmith software, uh, this thing was supposed to have an IBU of about 78. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know if you ever listened to the episode we did about the IBU oh, yeah. is a lie with Glenn Tinseth. So, um, uh-huh. you know... Um, it, it's not surprising to me that the analyzed IBUs are not anywhere near the predicted IBUs because it's so dependent on kettle geometry and how you chill, especially. Yeah. Uh, so, yep, exactly. Well, but, but, and that was the interesting thing, too, for me, was I felt pretty confident in what I did because I literally, and you can, if, if you go out to Instagram, I'm short-circuited brewer out there, if you go out to Instagram, you can see some photos in my feed as well as video of this whole process taking place. Right. And the, the fermenters were almost exactly, I mean, they were literally exactly the same volume because I boiled at the, you know, with an electric brewery, I can sure. set it to boil at a certain rate. And, you know, with a timer, it, it, the evaporation was exactly the same. Everything was pretty much exactly the same on it, which, you know, that that's what kind of made me feel confident in performing the experiment and, and having some tangible results where we could, you know, try it out. Right. So that the, definitely the only variable was the way you added those flame out hops. That is correct, yeah. And it went from 212 degrees boiling, and it dropped in that time period, the 30 minutes that I did the Whirlpool for, it dropped down to 178 degrees. Okay. Um, and you put the hops I, You put the hops in both of them as soon as the boil was finished, right? Yeah, as soon as I flipped okay. off the switch, I dumped in the 8 ounces of hops. Wow. Well, this is this has certainly been very interesting because Drew obviously picked out that there was a difference between the beers. I wasn't able to do that as much. Well, uh, I think that just points to the fact that my one extra taste bud gives me a superiority over your two. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> or that, or that you got luckier than I did, and uh, when you flipped your coin, it came up the right way. Uh, maybe I should go to Vegas <laughs> right. this weekend. <laughs> That's right, man. Buy a lottery ticket. <laughs> What's interesting is I on my uh, my sheets, and I'll, I'll have to I'll have to send you guys. Uh, I'll have to scan one and email it to you. Sure. Um, I did some sheets for the the uh, triangle test, and uh, you know had them where they instructed them to taste the beers from left to right, and you know had a, a blank in there for them to write which samples were the same, which were different, which one they preferred, and then what, and then for them to describe the differences between the samples. And of all the ones that got the the off beer correct, all of them said that they preferred, the ones that preferred the Trub Trapper said that uh, they experienced that much, you know, much more sharp bitterness, mm-hmm. right. and the ones that preferred the other said it was a much more round bitterness, which, you know, I mean, that's exactly what I was experiencing as well, and it, so it, was, it was interesting to see that of the people that got it correct, you know, they, they were able to, to make that distinction between the two of them. Yeah, so and, did you try? Well, and I was just going to say, I mean, like for me, as I sit here and I taste these, as they've warmed up even more, the the difference becomes even more apparent. I think, you know, the ones with the rounder bitterness do feel more almost like the IPAs I would have in the UK when they are on cask or cask versions of IPAs here, right? Where they get that sort of a rounder hop character, and the other one is definitely more bitter. And this may come down to one of those preference things where, you know, me being West Coast dude. Like I go, Ooh, bitter. I like that. Right. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. But 
damn, it's close though, isn't it? I'm sitting here going through all three of these beers, and you know, now that I know, I mean, and again, it, it can just be confirmation bias. I'm not ruling that out, but now that I know, I can find that the the one that you did uh, with the Trobe Trapper is is just a hair more bitter tasting. You know, the the sensory uh-huh. perception is like that. But again, you know, confirmation bias is such a pernicious thing. Who can really say? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Drew, I said pernicious just for you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I noticed that uh, one of the Why side- you guys don't start saying start saying first and foremost. That's that's my buzzword. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you can have that one. Oh no, no, we've been no. We've Den- been Denny, Denny stole one of mine the other day uh, in something that we're writing. He stole anathema. That's right. <laughs> we've been we've been trying to out big word each other recently. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. That's hilarious. I worked for a guy one time, and I said some big word, and he flipped me a quarter. He's like, that was a 25-cent word. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Drew, any other questions for Brian? So when people come to uh, go find your YouTube station, uh, how how often are you posting? What other things do you post other than live brew days and and product reviews? And are there other things you're going to do? Oh, my gosh. You know, the product reviews, of course. And then uh, I've also been doing, like, I've I've kind of taken on this mission. I've looked out. And in the YouTube space, and even online for that matter, there's not a lot of information about electric brewing. I mean, you know, and I have to say, you know, what gave me the information was the electricbrewery.com. Mm-hmm. Cal Walner's, you know, he's like the, the godfather of electric brewing. So, you know, my hat's off to him for even, you know, getting me interested in it. But there's not a lot of information in it out there that, you know, is straightforward and concise and, and tells people, you know, here's what it is and here's how it works and here's how you build a system. There's a lot of videos of, you know, people showing what they did or right. whatever, but kind of took it upon myself to, you know. Now here's my completed product. Yeah, exactly. So I've kind of taken it on myself to actually do a lot of videos instructing people on how to do that sort of thing. So, you know, because it is a, we are, you know, we do a lot of electric brewing stuff. I, I'm, you know, kind of a, a little bit of a, uh, electric brewing evangelist, I call myself sometimes, you know, but, uh, so that, that's the other thing that I, you know, like to do is, is focus on, you know, trying to teach people and, and add some biggest thing. I like to add some value. If somebody's going to come watch, you know, what I do, I like, I like for them to leave with, with some knowledge or, you know, and, and it's funny, a lot of times you don't know what people don't know and, until they don't know it, you know? Indeed. So, well, and so that, that's kind of what I've been doing in, in that vein right now. Actually, I've uh, gotten an entire kit from an electric brewing supply, and I'm, I'm doing a complete series on actually building that kit right now. So uh, that's always and, and nice. filming all so that, we're doing all that stuff. And I, I'm, I'm kind of a I, I'm a, a beer junkie, and I also like you know doing videography and stuff like that. So it kind of it, it, well, good. And it so, pe- both so people should be able to find, and I really enjoy doing it. So. Well, great. And so people should be able to find that is what they could expect to find over there. A wealth of a lot of information. You know, I hope, you know, the, from the comments that I, that I get, I feel confident in saying that it's, it's good information. So, well, good. And so now if, uh, people, what do they find new videos from you weekly on your channel or. Oh yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't answer that question. Uh, yeah. So, uh, I like to put out a video like at least every Sunday on, uh, you know, kind of a, uh, the big topic. And then uh, Wednesdays, I may do some, you know, updates on what's going on with different experiments or different uh, things that are going on. Uh, and then the control panel build that I just currently started working on, that is going to be every Monday. So everybody can sit in their cubicle on Monday and watch YouTube instead of work. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> cool, man. That sounds great to me. Uh, yeah, I like that idea. Um, yeah. So, it- well, so now, Brian, um, I just I, I really have to say thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing your beers with us. And uh, also, thank you for giving me an opportunity to prove that I'm a better taster than Denny. And I'll take that every day. <laughs> or, or at no least problem a, there. No problem at all. <laughs> at least a luckier taster than Denny. You say luck, I right, say skill. Right, exactly. And that's oh, incidentally, too, I, I wanted to say that uh, I did sign up for your Igor program. So oh, great, I don't know man. if you found that or not, but uh, I did sign up for it. And I, I definitely look forward to doing some more experiments with you guys. I think I, I really enjoy I, I have to drive from time to time, and I really enjoy listening to the podcast while I'm driving and you know I'm I'm always I'm constantly laughing or going hmm that's interesting laughing laughing is a good thing man and thanks thanks for signing up to be an Igor things have been a little slow this summer but I guarantee you that they're going to pick up again uh, as soon as we get to the end of the month here so stand by for future experiments We've been talking to Brian Huntley, one of the short circuit brewers, about uh, the experiment that he did with putting flame out hops in. Drew got lucky. I didn't. What can I say? Thanks for joining us, Brian. It was great, man. Uh, Keep experimenting and keep in touch. Absolutely. I will do that. And you guys have a great day. You too, man. Bye-bye. Woo! All right, bye. Okay. Well, there you go. Like I said, Drew got lucky. I didn't. Uh, The beers were very close, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, apparently Brian's results um, agreed with Drew, huh? Yeah, well, I, I don't know if Brian's results agreed. Well, no, you're right. I'm sorry. Let me take the back. Brian's results proved that Drew is correct. <laughs> Brian's results proved that Drew got lucky for a change. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing. I, I'll say, like, as my own personal reaction, like, going through and tasting these, triangle tests are always hard. And it's always oh, intimidating man. when uh, three glasses... Because you think about it, it, this should be easy. I taste three glasses. I decide which one's different. Ta-da! You, you, you're faced with those three glasses, and you think, shoot, which one am I? <laughs> no, that one. Wait, that one. No, that one. Ah! This time, I just happened to, to get to that ag point at the right glass. Yeah, well, you know what? And there are people who are like going to the quadrangle test, and I think that we may do that, too. I'd at least like to try that to see if it makes it any more easy to pick out uh the differences right the the quadrangle being you have two and two and then you have to pick the beers that match right yeah and there are a couple of different things that we're going to play with but uh, again uh, i I think any of these blind tasting tests that you do are intimidating they're and they're really darn difficult you know people who haven't done it um have no idea i mean that you think it's going to be easy you think that your mind is made up you know what you expect and then you try it, and it's like, I have no idea what's going on here. Yeah, well, and so I would highly suggest for people who have never done a triangle test before, go just do the simple one that I like to do with people sometimes just to prove how it works. Uh, go grab some Bud Light and go grab some Budweiser and pour two glasses one and one glass the other one and try and pick them out. And you'll be surprised. Yeah. It's hard. And, and it's harder than, yeah, it, it is harder than you would think. You would think it would be obvious. It isn't. Yeah, but now also on this one, I thought, to me, I think the interesting part was my presumption would have been that the kettle with the free-floating hops, the one with the trub trapper, would come off as right. more bitter, and the one with the hops in the bag would come off as more, you know, uh, you know, like it wouldn't be as pronounced, right? And what we see instead is that the one with the trub trapper, we got more pronounced hop 
character in terms of overall hop character, but a lesser perceived bitterness. And the one with the bag, more perceived bitterness, but also at the same time, lower IBUs. What that makes me wonder is, with the hops free-floating in the kettle, if we're not getting more you know, dissolving of other compounds that are affecting our taste buds, and those may be interfering with our perception of bitterness, and the, the hops that are in the bag, they're yielding a lower IBU, but there's less compounds getting dissolved into the beer, so therefore the bitterness is the main component that remains. Yeah, you know, and uh, I, there has been, since I started brewing 20 years ago, a rule of thumb that you get about 10% less utilization of hops using a bag. So whenever I use a bag, I just simply add 10% more hops. And it would be interesting to try that and see uh, if the results change. Mm, sounds like an experiment. But it's also interesting. I mean, what? It was two IBUs difference? Yeah, and right. And that's I mean, 5%? You can't taste. Yeah, you can't. Well, you can't taste two IBUs. I've always no. uh, read that the, the threshold is three. And I think that even that is... Uh, pretty low anyway it's an interesting experiment thank you brian uh thank you for doing experiments and we want to encourage all of you to uh go ahead and do your own experiments and send us the results yeah and if you want to jump into a segment like that please uh, we'd love to have beer and talk about experiments with people but in the meantime make sure that you go check out brian at short circuited brewer on youtube and on instagram and you'll be able to see him on reddit which is actually where we hooked up to talk about this that's right so uh, stick around. We're going to take a quick break here to refill our beer glasses, and we'll be right back. Mecca Grade Estate Malt is a craft malt house owned and operated by the Klon family on their beautiful Central Oregon high desert farm. Their eighth generation Oregon farming family grows and malts all of their own specialty grain, creating malts that are rare, remarkable, and bursting with flavor. Malt is the foundation of your beer, so why settle? The best beers deserve MechaGrade. For more information, please visit MechaGrade.com. It's just about time. It's just about time. Don't you think it's about time? We talked about beer. Okay, this is the part where everybody sings. Beer, 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 beer. Beer, 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 beer. Beer, 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 beer. We've moved over here to the lounge because it's lounging time. And uh, we're going to listen to an interview that Drew did a little while ago. Yeah, talking with uh, Devin Randall, who is the head brewer at the Arts District Brewing Company in the Arts District area of downtown L.A. That's right. Downtown L.A. has an Arts District, and downtown L.A. actually has people in it nowadays. Uh, when I first moved here to L.A., that wasn't the case. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Devin is, you'll hear from her in the uh, in the interview, but she's been a longtime brewer. She's actually an Angelino who went down and actually learned to brew uh, with the pizza port chain and uh, actually manned the kettles at the uh, pizza port Solana beach, uh, brewery. If you've ever been to the pizza port Solana beach brewery, you'll know that the brewery there is a funky arrangement that's dug into effectively the slope of a hill down to the beach. And now she brews in the basement of crazy Gideon's former warehouse in downtown LA. <laughs> crazy Gideon, huh? Crazy Gideon. And we talk about crazy Gideon in the interview. Okay. 
Um, well, then let's uh, let's just kick back, uh, grab yourself a beer if you're not driving, and we'll listen to this interview that Drew did with Devin. Well, hello, everybody. I'm Drew, your friendly host. You know my voice by now. And, of course, I'm sitting here somewhere remote, having a beer, having fun. And, well, where am I right now? We're at Arts District Brewing Company um, in downtown L.A. in the Arts District, fittingly. And who is speaking? I'm Devin from um, the head brewer at Arts District Brewing Company. Yeah, so uh, Devin, uh, uh, Devin Randall. Uh, for everybody who wants a full name, so you can do a full Google search, so you can realize <laughs> exactly how rad uh, Devin is. So, give us a little bit of your bio. Like, how did you get into good beer? So, getting into good beer started in college. Just as I was turning twenty-one, I worked at a really awesome bar called Raleigh's mm-hmm. in Berkeley, and that's I worked through college too. Although. I think you probably paid off way more of your debt than I did. I had a good time working at a bar in college. Um, But they had good beer. They had about 20 taps. They had good beer and they had Budweiser. But with 20 taps, at that point in time, that was around like the year 2000, Mm -hmm. I'd say, um, you couldn't fill 20 taps with bad beer. So there was some good beer on there, too. At that point, there was Stone. There was Bear Republic. There was Anchor, Sierra Nevada. And that's where I started learning about good beer, and that's when I realized that I really loved good beer. Yeah, so now when I was in college, I bartended at a bar called Cambridgeport, and they had nothing good, and the special was a schooner of bush. Hmm. So, (laughs) radically different situation, only a couple years apart. Um, And then, let's go ahead and get the, my favorite, or one of my favorite questions out of the way. What is your favorite curse word? favorite curse word and uh, just real quick just be uh, careful about I, I want to say fucking comes out when I'm like really out of words <laughs> when I'm just pissed it's just <laughs> when you're in that mood right yeah yeah I mean relatively tame one I guess hey, well, it, but it's by far and away the most popular so you are not alone um, and real quick what, what are you drinking right now I'm drinking the Pirate Radio. Mm. I thought it seemed fitting to do a podcast, plus it's one of our freshest hoppy beers on, and I'm really digging it right now. It's uh, Citra Hops, uh, Citra Equinox, and Chinook, um, but heavy on the Citra, and 20% rye, lovely pale ale. So it's a rye session pale ale. I wonder what Denny would think of a session rye pale ale. This would be the point in time with Denny if you wanted to talk. Too bad you're not here. <coughs> And then, so, and then I'm drinking your smoke port. The name of it, again, was Johnny... Cowboy Curtis. Oh, uh, Car- uh, Cowboy Curtis. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> it's a Pee Wee Herman reference. That comes from Pee Wee Herman. Yeah, and duh. Yeah, it, uh, the relationship between Lawrence Fishburne, who played Cowboy Curtis, and Pee Wee was always, like, really weird. And mm-hmm. I always thought it was funny, and it's one of the shows that if you rewatch it, you're like, how were our parents letting us watch the show? Well, I mean, I think... When you rewatch that show as an adult, you suddenly realize all the things you were missing. There's a lot of references. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's still a brilliant show. but I'm Totally. And you've won GABF medals for this. So, yeah, this was our first year entering GABF 2016. We got a silver medal in the smoke beer category. And um, I modeled this beer after... 
Alaskan smoked porter, but tried to make it a little bit more approachable, mm-hmm. just a, a touch lighter. Um, actually, while it was fermenting, I was like, oh, damn, it's not that smoky. <laughs> Despite it being 15% beechwood smoke mm-hmm. malt from Wireman. And uh, it, as the yeast drops out, it gets smokier. Yeah, the yeast you get really the like, dulls that. Um, and it was one of the wild cards that I threw in. And when I first started brewing, you had 10 entries into JBF. You could throw tons of wild cards mm-hmm. in. Now you only get five, maybe four. Um, mm-hmm. So your wild cards are usually one, maybe two at this point for me. Mm-hmm. So this was one of the wild cards. I was like, it's not going to win anything, but gosh, do I love this beer? And yeah, it did great. I'm super happy with it. So now you want a silver. Where did Alaskan Smoke Porter come in? I don't think they came in this year, this last year. <laughs> Shocker. I, mean, I think Alaskans owned that category pretty much forever. Yeah. No, at JBF, going to their booth and trying their verticals is like my favorite thing to do. It's like a don't miss it JBF activity. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think for listeners, if you have never done a sort of a series of Alaskan smoked porter tastes, you're really missing out. I mean, that's one of those things where you realize, oh, I mean, there's some there are some really nice changes, but also what you realize is the smoke character protects the beer for so long. Yes. I mean, I think what Cowboy Curtis is seven and a half. Yes, uh, it's seven. Seven. Okay. And then Alaskan Smoke Porter is like eight, eight and a half in that range. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they're not they're not uber strong beers for uber aging, no. but the smoke really allows it to hang on. I've had 20-year-old Alaskan smoke porters that are fantastic. Yeah, I think oxidation and smoke kind of plays together. Like, the oxidation almost plays into, like, a sweetness in the smoke. And I was talking about, like, different types of smoke. There's barbecue smoke, there's mm-hmm. hickory smoke, and there's, like, straight-up campfire. Like, right. oak, wood, campfire. And that's, yeah, and, that's what I was shooting for. But as it ages, it becomes more hickory. Well, I was going to say, and what you have in here, I mean... This has such a wonderful sort of presence of the smoke without the smoke being dominant. Yeah, I mean, like sometimes when you get those smoke beers, it's like, I smoke nothing else. Here, I get the smoke, but I'm also getting the roast. I'm getting some caramel-type tones. I'm getting the, I'm getting the base malt even. Yeah, I can, I can feel that running through the whole thing. Really awesome. Thank you. Yeah. So, uh, and... Right now, I mean, so we're here. This is Arts District. This is, what, a former Crazy Gideon's. Yes, it is. And so if you're from <laughs> L.A., you know Crazy Gideon. If you're not from L.A., look uh, it up. Yeah, look it up. <laughs> uh, think every crazy shouting electronic salesman ever. Same idea. And this used to be one of the, was this actually a shop or was this just a warehouse? Or? This was the warehouse okay. where he sold the electronics. Um, before that, very early on, it was an envelope factory. <laughs> I'm not sure what happened in between. <laughs> yeah. Well, and what's really great is, I mean, we're surrounded by all these sort of old classic buildings. We were talking on the way over here about, like, oh, hey, look over here. You know, you still see the old advertising paint up on the buildings. Yeah, Los the Angeles Dust Company. Yeah, and then and the, the coffee. Cable company, yeah. cable wires, yeah. Yeah, and, and I absolutely love that. And this area, this arts district area of LA, which is, this is on the outskirts of downtown, but not on the positive outskirts of downtown, uh, has really sort of been growing uh, really aggressively over the past six years 
or so. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and things are always moving. I mean, where the hotspots are and where there are a lot of homeless, like things are changing a lot from yep. month to month. And I mean, so, I mean, here we've got you, Mumford's not too far away, Iron Triangle's not too far away. We have, uh, what was the new one from Will, uh, Concrete Jungle? Uh, concrete, yeah, they're brand new. Um, and they're right in the area. I, this is suddenly becoming a little bit of a zone. We have coffee spots, we have Worskucha, we have, you know, all these sorts of places that you can come and have a good beer. And I, when I moved here to LA 20 years ago, that wasn't a thing. When I was a kid, when I was growing up in Santa Monica, you only came downtown maybe if you had jury duty or if you were working in, if you were a lawyer or something like that and worked here, a banker. Yeah. Well, and yeah, that's... And, and then after 5 p.m. it was dead. It was so. dead, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I remember driving through downtown L.A. in the evening and it was sort of straight out of an escape from New York type thing. Yeah, lock your doors. Yep. It's dangerous. Yeah, don't look at people. And... And right now, here we are, you have a 10-barrel system downstairs. 15-barrel. Oh, 15. Yeah. Oh, better. <laughs> so you have a 15-barrel system downstairs, and you have, I think we counted it was 21 different beers on tap with the cask. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's fairly impressive to keep that rolling. And, and it's not like you guys are slow, so you're not backing up beer. I mean, you have a good crowd coming through here. We go through sort of a crazy amount of beer um, at this point where it's kind of settled. Like, we've, we've been open for a year and a half now, um, doing inventory every week. I'm finding we're going through 30 to 40 barrels a week. So that's 60 that's, to 80 kegs. That's pretty damn good. That's a lot of beer, which is great because it allows us to keep our IPAs fresh, um, gets to do a lot of creative stuff. We can keep about 20 beers on. We go over that, and it gets to be kind of a glut. Uh, we go way under that, and they go too fast. So it's a delicate balancing act, but yeah. Well, and it's very I was gonna busy. Say, well, I was going to say, in that 20... 21 uh, broad swath that you have. I mean, you have a fairly good selection of different beers. You got, obviously, I think everybody has to have a couple of different hoppy beers nowadays because I might be the law now, or at least the law of the market. <laughs> and you have a really wonderful petite saison, a table saison. Thank which, you. Of course, I mean, you know me, I'm going to go, ooh, table saison. Hey, me. I'm going to drink that until the end of time. But you also are getting a chance now, I mean, even with the beer turnover that you're doing, you're getting a chance to play around with some lagers, too. Yeah, um, we've got a few lagers on right now. The German Pils, Vienna Lager, and Baltic Porter. Um, same lager yeast. It's uh, White Labs, I forget, it's like 800 or 830. They're, they're lager one, mm -hmm. Pilsner yeast. Um, but just having the opportunity to play around with some stuff that takes a little bit longer has been really nice. Mm -hmm. um, coming from Pizza Ports, which are awesome, but you know, you, you had to turn beer over a little bit more quickly. Uh, and before we get to the pizza port side of the fence, because we have to get there, I have to say the very first beer when I walked in today, I you know, said, hey, what, what are you really proud of? And you know, show me some things. And you first right off the bat mentioned the lagers because you were yeah. really excited <laughs> about that. And then you gave me the uh, Vienna, the uh, Sigmund. Sigmund, yeah. Uh, the Sigmund Vienna. And wow, I mean, like I really loved you had that perfect touch on the biscuit in it and where it tasted like a really sort of nice toasty piece of brown bread, but it wasn't like overwhelming. Like it, it got, it got you that toast note and then got the hell out of the way. 
to get you into that next sip. And the color is always so tenuous with beers that are right in that range. You're like, you don't want it to be brown and you don't want it to be amber. You need to make it right in between. So, yeah, I, I love the way that beer turned out and just excited to be able to make it. Yeah, I, I think you did a hell of a job with it. All right. So now let's talk the beer history, right? Because, I mean, you started here in L.A., right? Yes. Born and bred. Yeah. Right. And how did you get started with brewing? around LA and all that sort of fun stuff. So I told you I worked at a beer bar in mm -hmm. Berkeley yep. uh, called Raleigh's yep. that had a few beers on tap, learned to love beer. Um, came back to Los Angeles after a couple of years um, for a job and joined Pacific Gravity. Ooh, yes, <laughs> yeah. But I did go to a Falcons meeting. Thank you. And I remember talking to you guys and hearing everything that was going on there. Um, and Pacific Gravity... Love them. They're kind of my home club. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. A, a lot more casual. Yeah. Going to a Falcons meeting, it was much more... There was a lot more, like, reading numbers and things like that. Um, you know, what was your OG, what was your FG, and, like, stuff that I was not super comfortable with at the time. And I liked going to the meeting, but it was far for me to yep. come to, up to the valley. Well, and, and, and I will say, you know, just before anybody texts the wrong way, I say boo hiss about <laughs> but, I mean, look, it's I mean, a every, loving boo hiss. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, every club, like, you know, oh, that, those are our rivals, and, and that's been a long-standing thing. It, it is what it is. I love the folks at PG. They, I think, love us, too. And, <laughs> I mean, it's all homebrew. It's all good. It's just fun. As far as I know, everyone's friends. Yeah. yeah. We'll see. Next time, <laughs> the next thing you know, it's going to turn into a knife fight, or it's going to be something straight out of Anchorman. <laughs> so you got started in homebrewing with PG. Yeah. And then how do you go from, I mean, what was your experience coming in as, as a homebrewer? Like, when did you start that? So I started homebrewing with uh, then-boyfriend Dave mm -hmm. Stickle, who you mm -hmm. probably still know. He's still around. Mm -hmm. um, and he was always in charge of brewing, and I was like, okay, I'm going to bed now. It's midnight. Like, do whatever you're going to do. And uh, then we had a big breakup, which was actually, like, pertinent in my whole shift to brewing. Um, it's sort of, like, I had, like, this awakening that I was like, I don't like my job. I can't afford my house. Broken up with this boyfriend. And I was like, what am I going to do? Um, so I started pursuing every hobby I ever wanted to pursue as, in as much as I could. Because mm -hmm. um, I didn't want to be sitting at home being right. sad. So, Woe is me. <laughs> so I started, um, I got my own homebrew kit, which mm -hmm. was relatively cheap. Yeah. Um, you know, it was maybe like 100 bucks all in for my first batch <coughs> to do uh, extracts. Mm -hmm. And it was exciting to be in charge of it. And I also did a lot of other things that were just like sort of broadening my horizons. Um, and brewing really stuck. That was the thing that I kept doing. Mm -hmm. um, other things, I took a sewing class and I made some pajama pants and a t-shirt and stuff like that. And I was like, that was neat and I like that, but I, I want to keep brewing and I have all the stuff for it. So I kept doing it. Mm -hmm. And then I decided, I was like, hey, if I'm not happy with the trajectory of my life at the age of 25, why don't I go ahead and change it? And it's a perfect time to change it. Yeah, it worked out well. <laughs> um, and I started looking around for brewing jobs, and Eagle Rock was not hiring. It was just Jeremy and Ting, and they were all in, and they had no money to pay anyone. And they sort of... They tasted my homebrew, gave me feedback. They courted the idea of me working there for free. In the end, they decided they couldn't 
Yeah. Well, couldn't like, do that because I mean, they, I mean, they were brand new at the time, and they had no idea if it was going to work. Yep. And they didn't want to drag someone in. Um, so I went look, to San Diego. Look, look, we're taking our personal finances down. We're not taking yours too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they're they're dear friends now. Yeah. Um, I, I I love them. I love they, them. yeah, they really. I mean, they were really very much the pioneers to me. Mm-hmm. And I know Ladyface and Elsa Gundo were around the same time, yep. but everyone was a little separate at well, that point. Yeah, I mean, I think, and the big thing that they they took on that that neither Ladyface or Elsa Gundo or even Craftsman, which had been around for longer, was. They right. tackled L.A. City. Yes. And L.A. City is a beast. Totally. Especially and, when there's no precedent. Yep. So the, uh, they were definitely pioneers in that aspect. So, all right, so we go from maybe Eagle Rock, but okay, maybe not, and now we go San Diego. Now, how do, uh, obviously, San Diego is beer city. I was ready for a shift in my life, and I was like, let's just move to a new city. Why not? Mm-hmm. Nothing holding me back. So I went to San Diego actually looking for a real estate job um, because that's what I was working in at the time, real estate marketing. Um, I think it helps with my beer descriptions. I used to write house descriptions. (laughs) This is a comfy beer. (laughs) It's a beer you want to, (laughs) yeah, sit at home with on a Friday night. Yeah, I was going to say, you can't really say anything about bay windows with a beer, but whatever. (laughs) Um, So I went down there for a real estate interview and showed up at four different breweries wearing my real estate clothes just mm-hmm. on a lark was like let's just see why not i was doing the bjcp at that point with mm-hmm. pg so i was like mm-hmm. i'm doing something that's more serious than just being like i like beer and i want to make it without any context i was like i am studying and um you know i have a good education i went to uc berkeley mm-hmm. it's like I, i'm not uh don't have a bad track record you were intelligent you were thoughtful you were proving yourself so I went to a few different breweries, um, some of them Green Flash. Mm-hmm. I talked to Chuck, and he was like a year later. So when I was working at Lost Abbey, he was like, I thought about calling you, but I also was like, you live in L.A., you're not serious. And I was like, how serious am I now, Chuck? <laughs> moved <laughs> well, to San Diego. <laughs> well, and now Chuck lives in Slow. So. And now Chuck's, yeah, totally doing a different <coughs> thing. Or actually, Paso Robles, I think, or wherever. He's, he's somewhere else. He's, he's elsewhere. Yeah. <laughs> but at that time, Green Flash was still up in San Marcos, yep. and Lost Abbey was uh, the place that... I think they were just caught off guard, and they were like, oh, you want to come in and like watch a brew day? Mm-hmm. And they were like, okay, come back tomorrow at 6 a.m. You need to wear boots. And I was like, deal. Okay. <laughs> so I went to Walmart and bought my first pair of boots and uh, stayed at a friend's house on the couch, which that went on for another three months while I worked at Lost Abbey, kind of, trying to move down to San Diego. Um, it was a gradual move. I think I got really lucky. People don't really let you in the door as volunteers anymore. Mm-hmm. I was saying, like, it's a big well, liability. I mean, now, now, I mean, now the industry's grown so much, it's like... Yeah. This just, I think someone was sort of curious what the heck I wanted and was like for some reason said yes that day hey that's all it takes yeah and so once I was there I I wouldn't leave I just hung out and took out the trash and cleaned bathrooms until they were like do you work here and I was like I would like to you you were taking the inverse of the Milton he's like you 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 started working for free and then suddenly got a paycheck now for people who don't uh, people who are not SoCal brewery savvy. Just put that out there. We have 
down in San Diego, there's that whole complex that is Pizza Port, Port Brewing, Lost Abbey. Yes. And everything. They're all related, but not quite the same, right? Because Lost Abbey and, was it, it's Lost Abbey and Pizza Port. Oh, no, sorry. Lost Abbey and Port are the same building in San Marcos, which was the original Stone Brewery. Yes. And then you have the Pizza Port Brew Pubs. And then you have Port Brewing Company, which is based out of one of the Pizza Port Brew Pubs with a very fancy facility now. I've got a pretty good breakdown because this question has come up many times. Because it is weird. Okay, so Pizza Port Solana Beach came first. Yep. Then came San Clemente and Carlsbad around the same time. Mm Mm-hmm. Tommy Arthur put Pizza Port on the map. Yep. Started Port Brewing. Lost Abbey's sort of another brand out of Port Brewing. Mm-hmm. So Lost Abbey, Port Brewing, same brewers, same everything. Right. That's the old stone facility. Then opened up uh, Ocean Beach. Yep. Um, Port Brewing sort of separated themselves from Pizza Port for liability issues, which I totally understand. Um, but it's still, it's, what, it's still Gina and Vince. It's still Gina and Vince. I believe they're about half. Right. And then Tommy and maybe some other small investors. I'm not totally sure the breakdown, but uh, Gina and Vince are majority owners in both. Tommy's uh, big force at Lost Abbey, Port Brewing, and uh, big ownership stake as well. And then Pizza Port, because Port Brewing never became the production facility that they were hoping it was going to become, mm-hmm. started their own production facility in Bressy Ranch. Right, which so, is a beautiful facility. So that And that's relatively recent, and yep. that made it way more complicated, because you could also... I yeah, mean, I, <laughs> uh, like, I pay attention, and I'm still confused at times, but... So you, you Separate at, companies, though. Yeah, oh, I know, but, but you were at Lost Abbey, but of course yes. there's all the relationship... Yeah. That, in theory, makes it easier to move around. Um, yes At and least. no. I think it made it easier to move around because we're all very close to each right. other. But I did have to quit my job at Lost Abbey, right. sign then, up with Pizza Port, different healthcare, different paycheck, different everything. And your pension goes to shit. <laughs> yeah, it was it was uh, two very different companies that are very close. Yeah. They're nephews or brother and sister or something. Sisters. So all right, so we go Lost Abbey. And then at some point, you transition into Pizza Port Solana Beach. And uh, if you haven't been to Pizza Port Solana Beach, one, it's right across the way from the Amtrak station, which is awesome because you can go take a train, stop, have a beer, or stop and have a beer before you're making your way back up to LA. Yes. Not that I've ever done that <laughs> multiple times. Really, it's a good idea. And you're right there at the beach. But it's also kind of a tiny, tiny little facility. It... Um it's like shoving a brewery into the room that we're in right now, which is pretty small. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> we're in, like, uh, the study, which is, like, the back bar that we use for events. Um, yeah, I mean, I think so what, where we're at is about 1,000 square feet, maybe-ish. Maybe, yeah, yeah, maybe less. And, yeah, it's just slightly smaller than my house. I live in L.A., people. I don't have a big house. <laughs> <laughs> and I just remember looking... The Pizza Port Solana Beach Brewery is built downstairs yeah. because the it's basement on top of basement. Yeah, because it well because the 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 land is sloping away into the ocean from and it's where all the, sand if you yeah. dig there. Yeah. And so <laughs> it, you walk into the brew pub and it's like you're up at the area where you're ordering the beers and the pizza and whatnot and where you go sit on one of these tables and then you look down and you're looking at the top of the fermenters in the brew tank. <laughs> <laughs> 
where you're sitting. Yeah, it's always awkward when you're dry hopping and there's customers eating pizza and you have to ask them to move. <laughs> well, so now you end up at Solana Beach. And I mean, what was that like? I mean, did you go in originally as like the head bird? Did you prove yourself so much at Lost Abbey that like when they had an opening? Because I mean, I know they're always, I think the whole port complex has fed like half of San Diego's brew scene. Um, did you just go, did you go in as the, the head brewer there? So I was at Lost Abbey for about two and a half years and worked my way up from, yeah, sweeping, cleaning bathrooms. From um, random hanger on to... Yeah, random hanger on to legit employed person. And I was uh, doing, uh, like, relief brewing, running the bottling line relief, and doing a lot of different things, which was super fun. Well, that's but good, also that's good from an, edu- an educational point of view. Yes, and I, I loved it, but I really wanted to brew. You know, it was like I can't be managing these barrels if I can't make the, you wanted your the beer ideas that goes into it. And I really wanted to brew, and at Lost Abbey at that point, there wasn't really quite like an opening for mm-hmm. that. Um, and doing the barrel program was, a, was an honor. I got to work with Tommy and Gwen mm-hmm. and Sid and do blending with them which is amazing which was really fun but um i was really like really wanted to make the beer and have control over all aspects of it at some point like just to to know how to do it all so you you wanted to be able to put your ideas out there you wanted to to say hey that's mine and like have an actual like recognition for it i wanted to know more about everything yeah i wanted to be a part of every part of it. Um, so Yiga one day called up kind of out of the blue and was like, we will have an opening soon for a head brewer at Pizza Port. Things are shifting. We don't know which one, but <coughs> do you want to come work at um, Ocean Beach with me while I set up the brewery at Bressy Ranch? And I mm-hmm. was like, yes. Sure. <laughs> yes, I do. So uh, I moved to Ocean Beach and worked with Yiga for six months and then went to Solana Beach after that which is one of the smaller pubs, but mm-hmm. uh, good Upwards. experience. I mean, things aren't easy at Solana Beach, and it's awesome to go there and be able to still make good beer under difficult circumstances. I was going to say, I think Solana Beach feels to me like it's one of the ones that's challenging. Yes, in but so like, many ways. Yeah, but it's challenging like that old school way of like, okay, yeah, here's dealing with a brewery that was built under sort of the best circumstances we could do at the time. Yeah. And if you can make great beer here, you you can you can kick some butt. That beer has, I mean, that brewery has like a wonderful soul. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, because I mean, yeah, I mean, you got, I mean, that was Tommy's home base. I mean, I mean, uh, Jeff was out of there for a while. There's, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, you you had good history in there in those tanks that were buried half in the dirt. There's like music coming out of the walls. It's yeah. just it's a great um, great vibe at that place. It's not easy, but I'm I'm glad to have been there. So now, what what beer did you make there? Like that was the first time you really felt like, yeah, you had captured that music. Like you felt like, oh no, I've got this lightning. I've got this under control. Um. Let's see, there were a couple of like big moments there. Um, May the port be with you mm-hmm. was uh, an imperial porter that I <laughs> brewed there, and that was named by Ryan Fields, who was at San Clemente at the time, but now he's up at the Blendery at mm-hmm. Beachwood. And it was they were doing their uh, their Star Wars May Fourth thing, and yep. I was like, name this beer, like you want it there, I'll send it. And uh, that beer I actually brewed at Pizza Port Ocean Beach mm-hmm. under the name Six Point Nine because that's 
what it ended up being ABV wise and uh, just made me laugh a little. But uh, yeah, that was my first recipe that I was allowed to brew commercially that was like 100% me. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, I looked to Sierra Porter and Anchor Porter is kind of my, and also uh, Abel, which is out of Ocean Beach, which mm-hmm. is a hoppy stout, but um, kind of just that was my first thing that I got to do. Then when I got to Solana Beach, I was like, of course I'm entering this beer. I started looking through all of the guidelines and I was like, this beer doesn't belong anywhere. (laughs) It's not going to work. (laughs) And uh, that was the first time I adjusted a recipe to try to win a competition. Did you think, did you think the beer was better for the adjustment or did you like it the original way? I like them both. Actually, um, I don't brew 6.9 the way it was anymore, although maybe I will. I haven't thought about it in a little while. But that was the oh. first time that I was like, I need to make it a little stronger in order to, to deal with the hoppiness. And uh, it won a silver medal at the World Beer Cup. When I was going to say, I remember when they announced Arts District. Like one of the, I mean, one of the big high points about announcing Arts District, because I mean, Arts District is from Sed Moses, who is more known here in L.A. as a nightclub owner or bar owner. Yeah. You know, who's, I mean, he's put together some really incredible bars, you know, like, uh, but I remember, like, when that first started and they said, oh, yeah, Sed Moses' group is going to do a brewery. Everybody's like, fine, big money coming in, doing a brewery, whatever. And then when they announced that, that you were coming up, to be the brewer, that was like, I think suddenly when people started to take it like, oh, well, maybe there's actually something here for the beer quality. Because by that point in time, you had several medals on your belt, not just World Beer Cup, but GABF and a couple other things, right? Yeah. Um, the Bistro IPA competition, um, while I was at Solana Beach, mm-hmm. won a silver and then a gold, Citrama, and then Solana Beach IPA, which is like the mm-hmm. iteration of Swami's. Yep that I did. I double dry hopped that, so mm. it's different than normal. But yeah. Um, yeah, and that was the, the link between uh, Sed Moses and myself is Brian Lenzo with Blue right. Palms. Yep, Blue Palms, uh, which if you're not in L.A., Blue Palms has been... It's attached to, to a theater, and they... I don't know, was it like a decade ago? The I'd, Fonda Theater, yeah. and they've been open not quite 10 years. I want to say eight or nine. Yeah, it was, I mean, it's close, right? But, I mean, I remember, like, they were one of the people, like, suddenly he showed up in Hollywood, and nobody else in Hollywood was doing good beer. And he said, I'm going to do good beer, and had, like, beer dinners with, like, Sean Paxton coming down and doing Firestone Walker beer dinners. And, like, where you're seriously going, oh, hey, that's really good. Yeah. So... Yeah, I mean, and I remember when all that started to happen. I mean, even them, even with Brian's involvement, people were still a little like, mm, maybe, maybe not. But then you got on board, and you've come in, and I mean, this is sort of a crazy little space. Well, a little. I mean, this is this is one of the biggest breweries I've <laughs> around here in LA. It's um, it's a really interesting concept. It's really different, and I like it for that. It's uh, it's not what you would. As a brewer, be like, I'm going to make my perfect brewery, my perfect concept. It's not like that. Well, I was going to say, because you're still down in the basement. Still in the basement. A lot of ladders. You you have an attachment for going downstairs to brew. I guess so. (laughs) 
it's, you know, I, I like to focus when I'm working, so it's, it's hard when you're, like, right in front of everyone. It well, is. I was going to say, up here on the floor, you know, you got skee-ball and pinball machines and everything else competing for interest. So, yeah, I mean, that little monkish isolation is not a bad idea. Yeah. No, I, I like thinking of it that way. Do you ever want to have a brewery where you don't have to lug, uh, lug things downstairs? I do. I would love not to have an elevator. That thing is a beast. <laughs> Service elevator. Um, but as far as lugging things, I, 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 you're always going to be stacking kegs. You're always going to be moving bags of grain. It's, uh, it's good for you, I it, hope. It, it's, the, it's the brewer's life. <laughs> I'll find out if it's not. <laughs> well, I mean, you've you, you got good shoulders going, so I mean, let's do all that. Right, you don't have to go to the gym or something. You've been doing yeah. that all day. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, all right. So now, what do you think in terms of common wisdom? Because there's a lot of common wisdoms that's passed around in the brewing world. What common wisdom do you think people give too much credence to or that isn't actually really what you think is wise? Common wisdom that is not actually wise. Mm -hmm. I want to start with common wisdom that is wise. Okay, that's fine. Um, Because it's going to take me a minute to think about (laughs) common wisdom that's not wise. But common wisdom that is wise that I really like to carry through um, is safety Mm -hmm. first. Not being over, not necessarily being OSHA approved safe, but always putting yourself before the equipment and the mm-hmm. beer. Um, if something's going to fall down, something bad's going to happen. I, I think uh, one of the things that I'm most proud of is that we have not had injuries or accidents that are serious here. Mm-hmm. And seeing some of those, that's something that no job is worth. Um, Nobody's so, gotten caustic in the eye? Uh, you get caustic in the eye? Oddly enough, the best thing to do is put a little warm beer in there because it'll neutralize it immediately. Uh, I wash will too, but more slowly. And when it's your eye, <coughs> yeah, you, you, yeah, you want to take care of that immediately. And yeah, that's one of the things that anybody helping out or working in the brewery, the first thing we do is go over chemicals. What is mm-hmm. that? Uh, does it burn? Is it turning white? What what to do? Who to tell? See, an interesting. I think. Out of all the podcast interviews that I've done, I think this is the first time a brewer has ever mentioned safety as something very important. So, I mean, that's kind of cool. I mean, that's because I do agree. I mean, you don't want people throwing their backs out. You don't want people destroying discs. You don't want people burning themselves. You don't, you know, breweries are kind of dangerous places if you're not paying attention. I think uh, any new brewer, like from what I've seen, like the first six months is very telling. If you Mm -hmm. hurt yourself in the first six months or if you make it through, you usually make it a lot longer before or if you have an injury. Um, If you only make it a month Mm -hmm. and you have an injury, it's like, okay, you need to really think your philosophy towards towards beer and towards... Slow down there, Sparky. Absolutely, yeah. All right, so now do we have a common wisdom that you don't like? All right, common wisdom I don't like. Well, we did talk about something earlier about limiting yourself and saying that you won't do a mm-hmm. beer. We talked about the brewery mm-hmm. Monkish mm-hmm. saying we won't do IPA. Right. We don't like IPA. We're not an IPA brewery. Right. And now both of them have completely gone back at the, on that. Yep. The yeah, brewery has offshoot. Uh, Monkish, of course, is making a killing with their, their of cans. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of their um, cans. So I think that's, uh, that's something that people attempt to do to differentiate themselves out of the crowd is to say that we're a Belgian brewery or we're a sour brewery or we'll never do this. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't think that's a good idea. 
I think that's a, a bad marketing plan because well, tastes change, people change, people evolve, yourself or your market. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's a good idea to say, like, I'll never do something because you might change your mind and then you just look like you... You're suddenly... Well, I mean, I think what it becomes is, one, nobody gets their plan right from the start. Mm-hmm. Nobody can predict what the market's going to do. And then if you take a hard-line stance and you say, we're never doing this, and then suddenly you do, then you Who deal... Who can believe you anymore? Well, and you, de- you deal with the fact that now everybody's going to think you're a hypocrite. Yeah. And, and that's not to say, by the way, that anybody who's doing this is a, is a hypocrite. It's just it's the nature of business. So it, it is hard. I mean, and yeah, I think you're right. I think you want to leave yourself open to the ability to explore because one of the nice things for a brewery is that a brewery isn't quite restrained like a restaurant is to say, hey, we're an Italian joint. We're a Thai joint. Yes. And then suddenly you can't do the other thing. Yeah, yeah. you don't have to be. Um, and, you know, some people have done it successfully, be a lager-only brewery, but mm. you don't have to. No. All right, so what... I mean, you have 20-some-odd beers on tap right now, minimum 15. Uh, what do you think makes your beer uniquely yours? Like, what do you do? Well, coming from the Pizza Port perspective of brew what you want, there's not a lot of you must brew anything. And I think... Here it is, I mean, sort of following in that vein, mm-hmm. we're sort of evolving. I'm, I'm brewing what's new and interesting to me. Being able to brew lagers has been new and interesting. Mm-hmm. I love it. I'm so into it. It's a pain in the butt, but I really like doing it. Yeah. And by the way, guys, I mean, seriously, when I came in and I asked her what she was proud of, the first three things that she mentioned were uh, the first three <laughs> lagers. It's like lager, 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 and traditional lagers, too, not IPLs or anything. Oh. Yeah, you had a, a Baltic Porter, a German Pills, and the Vienna that we talked about earlier. So I think uh, it's it's hard to say that I do some specific thing mm-hmm. other than I'm, after You're- all these years, still really excited about brewing and love <coughs> making beer. And I have my own unique outside influences that are not beer. You know, I love mm-hmm. to hike. Um, haven't, you know, picked any unique ingredients from uh, hiking lately, but California Sage, I did that mm-hmm. back at Pizza Port, and that was, like, a really interesting beer, and I think that's the best inspiration is coming from outside brewing at this point. Good. And I did beer, beer, beer 24-7 mm-hmm. for a few years starting out, but now and, uh, it's, like, uh, now, now it's, it's more about expanding what else I've got to offer, but it is, I guess it is very, like, centric to my experiences. Um, I'm good. All right, so now, last two questions. One of my favorites. Omitting the word balance, describe your brewing philosophy. Well, now all I can think about is balance. Um, <laughs> and do I have, like, a word limitation or just... No, go for it. If you need, if you need 20 minutes, go for it. And my brewing philosophy, mm-hmm. right? Um, like, when you go to make a beer... What guides how you make that beer? I think clean, eclectic. Um, I try to show every beer love. I mean, I, I try not to brew a beer that I'm going to be angry with. Occasionally, <laughs> beers misbehave. But I hate you. you. I kind of try to treat them like children. <laughs> I hate you, beer. You're a terrible beer. Um, yeah, I, I love being here, and I 
particularly when I'm having a bad day and I don't always love being here and I'm like, man, someone's really riding me on something or my shipment didn't show up. Um, I still look at the, the fermenting beer in the tank and I'm just grateful that it's there doing all this for me. It's, it still fascinates me. It's magic. So. All right. Awesome. And then final question is what non beer thing are you fascinated by or obsessed with? Um, I've been really, really into hiking the Santa Monica mountains and the LA Angeles, mm -hmm. uh, the national forests. Mm -hmm. Um, so hiking. There we go. And this is a perfect spot to do it in. I know uh, people don't realize that LA has excellent hiking. Well, I mean, I always love the fact that LA, you can literally in a morning go from surfing on the coast to skiing without a problem. It's just a short drive. And when the snow, like when the snow level is pretty low, like mm -hmm. you can actually hike to the snow oh, yeah. and camp up there if you want to. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. So hiking's my obsession right now. That's an awesome obsession to have. All right. Well, hey, thank you, Devin, for uh, taking a moment. I mean, I know it's a busy day down here in the pub and everybody's enjoying your beer, which is always a great feeling. And I really do appreciate you taking the time to talk a little bit about uh, what you're doing and what sort of magic you're weaving here in the brewery. Thank you. Cheers, Drew. Thank you. <laughs> Man, that was that was really great to hear. Uh, she seems really committed to what she's doing, really knowledgeable, and as always, we just love to see women brewers because there aren't enough of them, and they don't get enough acknowledgement. Well, I'll, I'll tell you. I mean, so I'm amazed one with the size of the brewery that she has that she's turning out as many beers as she is. They're all top notch. And she even has uh, time and space to keep loggers on as well. And the loggers were pretty damn good. Wow. So, uh, I, hats off. She's brewing underneath in the basement underneath a bunch of skee ball machines. But if you ever get a chance and you're in the, the downtown LA area, you should totally swing by Arts District. And now Arts District area has like seven or eight breweries in it. So, you can actually make a fun little uh, crawl in downtown LA to go amongst a bunch of breweries. Cool. Cool. That yeah. might actually get me to L.A. sometime. There you go. I'll take you around, buddy. I bet you will. Okay, we're going to take a quick break here, and when we come back, we'll be doing all the end-of-show stuff that we do. We'll be doing the quick tip. We'll be doing something other than beer, and we won't be doing any questions and answers because we're saving them up for the next episode for an all-Q&A show. So stick around. We'll be right back after this message. When I'm done brewing, I want to be done brewing, not waiting around for my work to cool. With the Hydra, the Corny Pillar, and the other great chillers from Jaded, I can be done when I'm done. No more waiting 20 minutes for the work to cool enough to add Whirlpool hops. No more messing with cleaning and sanitizing counterflow or plate chillers. With the super fast immersion chillers from Jaded, you can chill your word in minutes without all the hassle. Jaded chillers aren't just works of art, they're the fastest, most effective chillers you can buy. Check them out at jadedbrewing.com. come back uh, see it wasn't just an idle threat 
<laughs> so Drew has both the quick tip and something other than beer. And the quick tip comes from our interview that we did with Randy Mosier for Brew Files. So hit it there, Mr. Drew. Right. So go and listen to the episode. You'll get to hear all of Randy's tips. But I thought one of the ones that I liked was Randy's super passionate about exploring different ingredients, right? And really super passionate about trying to understand the impact of different varieties of those same ingredients on a beer. So for instance, the example we talk about in the show is coriander, uh, difference between Mexican coriander and Indian coriander, for instance. Um, no, let's take that back. Yeah. Too many for instances. All right. So in the episode, one of the things we talked about was the differences between say different varieties of coriander and, Randy, of course, argues that there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of varieties, but you don't even have to go any further than look at like the two main varieties that we can find here in the U.S., uh, one of which is Mexican coriander, which is the most common one that you find, and that's the one that's got that little bit of soapiness, a little bit of oranginess, uh, and also a bite to it. And then you've got Indian coriander, which is a little bit harder to find, but you can find it at a good spice house, and it has, again, that intense oranginess, but the flavor is more earthy and, and sort of stretches out over a longer period of time without any kind of soapiness. So... That's a good thing to know and explore, but how do you do that without having to rebrew batches of beer? Randy's also a big fan of doing tinctures and doing table blends. So Randy really suggests that if you're trying to dial in a character of a beer or figure out how to do it successfully, make a beer and then flavor it in the glasses with tinctures or teas of the various spices that you're wanting to do and use that to actually help drive home what the final profile is. And that's what he does at Five Rabbits and Forbidden Root in order to make sure that they're not wasting a lot of money when they brew uh, pilot batches. Good idea. Excellent idea. So there you go. Quick tip done. All right. And then something other, because of course I'm something other. <laughs> I have uh, two quick things uh, for you. One, as has been made clear in a recent Reddit thread talking about uh, homebrew subbies that people have run into. I'm a nerd. Um, well, that- everybody's everybody, everybody who commented in that thread who, who mentioned me said, yeah, Drew's kind of a nerd. Yes, kind of a nerd. Okay. Sorry. Uh, yep. Yeah. Uh, Uber nerd, arch nerd, yeah. whatever. So I am a big fan of Game of Thrones. I am the rare sort of person where I'm actually a, a bigger fan of the the show than I am the books, because the books kind of, to me, are a little ponderous. I know. Send me hate mail. Whatever. But I recently discovered the really funny site called BlackNerdProblems.com. And Black Nerd Problems, as you might be able to guess from the uh, domain name, talks about nerdy culture things from a black perspective. So because you know there's a lot of a lot of different takes on on things that we're watching in in these shows. They've been doing these uh, recaps of Game of Thrones episodes and I just discovered this. They are freaking hysterical. I'm they come out every Tuesday after the episodes. And I read them and I can't help but giggle as I'm reading them the whole time. And I'm not talking like, you know, silently giggling in my head. I mean, I'm actually giggling, which is kind of terrifying. <laughs> so v- very powerful. Black nerds, pro- uh, black nerd problems.com. Look for the game of Thrones recaps. And the other one is actually the return of something uh, that I've talked about, I think in the past, or I thought I've talked about in the past. Uh, there is a author out there, C.A. Pinkham, who has been writing a series online called various things behind closed ovens, off the menu, a couple of other things, because I think he never owns the name. But the idea is always the same, which is he gathers up emails of stories from people who've worked in restaurants and bars over the years about various things of like 
heroic times, customers who were awful, customers who were awesome, their fellow employees who were dumber than box of rocks, et cetera, et cetera. And every week publishes stories from all these various people. And it's like I said, it's been on a couple of places. Kitchenette, uh, uh, which is a version of Wonka. Um, he was in Thrillist for a little while and now has suddenly resurfaced at bitterempire.com with his uh, new series off the menu. I read these every Monday and they make me both laugh and weep at some of humanity's cruelty and reinforces the idea that really everybody should work a service job at some point in their life. Oh yeah, man. I spent many, many years in retail electronics, so I kind of have an idea what you're talking about. Yeah. So there you go. Blacknerdsproblems.com and bitter-empire.com off the menu by C.A. Pinkham. Cool. Well, I guess that that about uh, wraps it up for today. Uh, before we get out of here, we want to congratulate our Y-East winners one more time. That's Chris, Nikki, and Jordan. So good work, guys. And thank you all for entering the contest. And thank you to Y-East for getting down with our craziness. And thank you all for listening to Experimental Brewing. You can catch all of our latest adventures and writings by going to our website, experimentalbrew.com. Don't forget to follow us. Uh, we're on Twitter as at EXP Brewing. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Uh, Drew is uh, like on the Slack channel for homebrewing. Mm -hmm. He's also on Reddit. I'm on like nearly every homebrew forum that's around out there. Uh, so you can find us anywhere. If you want to ask us a question or suggest topics or recipes or experiments, you can email us at podcast at experimentalbrew.com, or you can email each one of us individually. I'm Denny at experimentalbrew.com, and he's Drew at experimentalbrew.com. So until next time, remember to always brew experimentally. Or brew wacky. And we'll see you on the next episode of Experimental Brewing. Thank you.